Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Hey everyone, today I am met with Paulo Sabaha, who is currently a millennial candidate for office, but I've known Paulo for, oh my goodness, five or six years, maybe even more. And we, we first met when we were back in California working in the state legislature together, but Paulo is one of those individuals who is such a go-getter. He's incredibly relationship oriented, but, but com- incredibly driven to kind of go to that next level, try that new thing and to really challenge himself. So I am so stoked to have Paulo on the show today to talk about his own journey and to talk about the next generation of leadership. So Paulo, thanks so much for joining us. Gabby, thanks for having me. So I I just want to jump into it with you. I mean, you have an incredible story, but it's a story that's shared by so many other millions of millennials of coming here to the United States and and really starting a life with you and your family. Can you can you take us back to that time where you you came to the U.S. and you were really uh, entering into this new world and this even new country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was nine and a half going on 10 when my family relocated from the Central American country of Costa Rica to Southern California. And when we moved to the States, my siblings and I have an older sister and a young brother. We didn't speak any English. And uh, so it was really a completely foreign concept to be in a country where you knew not a single person and then you had a language barrier. You couldn't communicate with your peers in school. So that really kind of forced my siblings and I to learn English as quickly as possible. The three of us had always been very social people. We got along with our peers back home in Costa Rica. And so the the culture shock of not being able to do that from a child's point of view really allowed one to to push oneself uh, to push oneself to 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 adopt, adapt and adopt um, the language as quickly as possible to be able to to begin forging those friendships. You know, my family when we moved to the states, I remember the little apartment that we moved into. Uh, in fact, I remember that the the very first morning after having arrived in the United States, uh, I believe it was uh, my sister that went over to the, fr- the refrigerator. She opened it, and there was only a carton of milk. This is an apartment. It was two bedroom. My sister had one of the bedrooms. My mom and dad had the other one. My brother and I had a bunk bed in the living room. And in that, uh, my sister and my brother and I turned to our parents and said, what are we going to eat for breakfast? Because uh, <laughs> a carton of milk wasn't going to cut it for us. So uh, my dad and my mom turned to us and says, how about we go have McDonald's? So my first meal in the United States, of all things, was McDonald's. And, uh, you know, the, our story, the story of, of immigrants who sought a better life, uh, economic and upward mobility, um, you know, these, these, are, these are the stories of, quite frankly, as you noted earlier today, millions of Americans who seek a future and who are willing to take a risk um, and actually pursue it. So even though my story, you know, to some may sound unique, I think it's, it's actually quintessentially American. That's, that's the very same reason why uh, some left the old world to come to the new world. They wanted to pursue greatness. They wanted to pursue something, something bigger than themselves, and they, they didn't feel that the old world fulfilled that. So it's an exciting story, but uh, it's certainly shared with a lot of people as well. And what I think is so incredible about it is the true belief that the American dream still exists. And there's so many out there who would say, you know, that it's dead and gone, that there's no such thing as the American dream. American excellence is something that we saw in the past. But 
I disagree. And, and I think that you disagree with me that we do have such an opportunity, especially as the next generation to reinstill that sense of excellence, that sense of leadership and excitement for what the future is, is going to, to bring forth. So, so as an immigrant and coming into this country and starting over, over new, you've, you've progressed through elementary school, middle school, clearly you you can speak English very well, uh, better than me, and I've been speaking it for for my whole life. But uh, I doubt that. But one. <laughs> but, uh, but we both share this uh, this California accent, so I do it a whole lot more than Paula, where we say like a lot. So that's I'm I'm guilty of that. But but what what changed for you? You know, was it in high school or college where you really found your your voice of being a leader amongst your peers? You know, that's actually a very fascinating question. And, and I hardly ever get asked that question. In fact, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. What exactly was the trigger point or what, what was the turnover that really changed it, that, that made me want to, to pursue uh, certainly uh, involvement in the community? I would have to say that was influenced uh, by the church I used to attend in Southern California when I, when I lived there with my family, with my parents. Um, there was always a, a sense of urgency, a sense of, a sense of community, not just helping you know your brethren out, but also helping those um, less fortunate. And it really was also a culmination of what I would hear constantly from my grandparents and my uncles and my aunts. These are folks back home in Costa Rica that would always complain about, um, and, and, and I don't use the word complain as a negative thing, but because they rightfully had a, um, they, they, they were, they were upset about what was going on and it was the corruption, the misuse of public funds. It was the politicians enriching themselves. And that I think combined with what I learned at church really lit a fire uh, you know, within me to say, why, why is it that someone isn't willing to stand up and say enough is enough? And, um, and because I didn't see it out there, I said, all right, you know what, I'm going to be the one that will stand up. I'm going to be the one that's going to try to, to make some sort of positive change in the community, whether it is in the private sector or the public sector or, or any facet of the, of my life. I would say that those were the two, the combination of, of, of that upbringing and certainly having um, family members continually discuss <laughs> what, what government does not do right. Well, I think that that's so fascinating that you had this trigger point where you noticed a problem and felt so empowered to justify that problem that you said, well, there's something that I should do about it. Because there's so many of us that will look on the ground and there's a piece of paper like someone should really clean that up. Right. I mean, it's a very, you know, simple way of looking at it. But there's this this sense and this urge inside of us that it's like, hey, there's a problem. I need to be a part of of solving it. And my mom used to tell me growing up that that if you notice something that's wrong, that you have the authority to be able to go in and make a difference, because not everybody is noticing and not everybody is complaining and not everybody is saying there has to be a better way. So if you're mm -hmm. seeing something, then you are empowered to to really say something. So fast forward a few years and here you are, you're uh, running for a county commissioner out in Arapahoe and county in Colorado, and you moved to a community and you've moved to multiple communities, but there's something really I find very admirable about you is that you've really found your 
your home in multiple communities with people. I mean, you could be in California, you could be in Washington, D.C., you could be, you know, in Colorado where you are now, and, and you naturally build communities around you. But moving to a community, especially as a millennial and literally starting over is not hard. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not easy. It's it's something that causes someone to really deep dig deep inside of themselves and say, who am I really as a person? So maybe walk through with us that moment, you know, when you arrived in Colorado or maybe when you moved to Washington, D.C., those moments where you you cut ties with your past and started over somewhere new. How were you able to recreate family and community in somewhere completely new? That's a fascinating question. And, you know, I would say culturally, I think the fact that Costa Ricans, for the most part, have always been very warm people, have always been um, inviting uh, to others. That's who we are. But I would say um, also the way that our parents and my my parents raised my siblings and I, um, whenever you did move somewhere else, you know, you, you always needed to find and ground yourself and, and get plugged into the community and be part of the community. I would say it, it's hard. It's hard work. And I think uh, a lot of people end up shying away from, from making a drastic life decision to perhaps move across the country or move elsewhere uh, because they feel comfortable. And oftentimes we don't like the, the challenges that come or that are associated with moving to a new place. I would say for me, it would take, and, 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 and to this day, it, it continues to be whenever you, you know, you go and visit a, a happy hour and you don't know a single soul. It's forcing yourself to, to make it a point to meet someone new and make a deeper connection. You know, I, I always heard this, and I think it's fascinating. We have two ears, one mouth, right? Um, and we should always use those proportionately. We should be willing to listen to folks and, 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 and ask them additional questions to learn about who they are. What is it that motivates them? What is it that makes them, um, you know, what is it that makes them who they are today? Because when you begin to learn more about who people are and it gets to a deeper level, that allows you to really build a friendship that isn't just a surface friendship. And um, I would say that that is for me the case. It's, it's always been challenging myself to go somewhere where I may not necessarily know. And it could be, you know, to a meetup group, a volleyball meetup group or a soccer meetup group where you don't know a single soul, but you make it a point to at least leave with someone else's name uh, from that particular moment forward. And, and that's kind of how you really end up um, making fantastic friends. I, I have a funny little story. So I was headed up to to the mountains to go snowboard, and um, it, it depends on traffic. Traffic can be, you know, the trip to the mountains can be anywhere between three hours to six plus hours. And uh, my car is not a four wheel drive. Um, my so what I ended up doing is I ended up carpooling with someone that I didn't know. And you know those car rides can be kind of awkward. You don't know the person, you don't know how to connect to the person. And we ended up having a six six and a half hour commute to finally get to the mountains. And there was not a single moment of silence in that car. And there was not a single uh, moment where we turned on the radio because conversation died. And it was an engaging and like really fascinating conversation, conversation that was deeper than just like, what is your favorite color? What school did you go to? It was like, what do you think about this? You know, if you had the opportunity to have anyone over in the world, living or dead, or, you know, over for dinner, who would you have and why? And those conversations and those kind of questions usually lead to so much more. Um, both of us, he, he's now a good friend of mine, and both of us said, dude, I feel like I know you and I've known you forever. And that was just because we hung out for six and a half hours in the car ride up to the mountain. Um, so 
Yeah, it, it, it really is a, a fascinating thing. And I always I would encourage anyone listening to to make it a point to go somewhere new, to expand your horizon. Don't just stick to the people that you know. Don't just stick to the community that you know, because quite frankly, there's so much to be learned from other people who have had different experiences and different backgrounds and, and are culturally different, perhaps. You really hit something that I think will help so many people get out of the rut that they're in. So oftentimes we're in a situation, we're in a relationship, we're in a job that we don't like. And it's so easy to sit back and say, I wish something would change. But essentially what you're saying is you have to change your physical environment to change your mental environment. You have to be willing to challenge yourself to go outside of your own comfort zone to go and experience something new. And in doing that, you learned so much more about yourself. You learned that you're more outgoing than you thought. You learned that people are truly incredible. They have fascinating stories. And that really turns into, you know, another thread in the tapestry of, of our own experience. Mm-hmm. So you've been out in Colorado for a number of years now, and, and you're running for office there. And even before we jumped on on this broadcast, we were talking about how many in the community, uh, particularly your opponents, say that you're too young, right? You're too young Mm -hmm. to run for office. You're too young to have a voice. You have to wait your turn. There's some systematic process that's, you know, written nowhere that we're somehow supposed (laughs) to accept that you have to get more gray hair or have more degrees or, you know, shake more hands or, or do your due diligence before you're somehow worthy of opportunity and leadership. And what I find so fascinating and encouraging about this generation is we're not waiting our turn. We're saying, hey, there's a problem. I want to be a part of a solution. So what was that moment for you that you said, I can do this. I have a voice. I have something that I can change in my community. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's a powerful question. You know, to pin it down to a moment, I would I would say it was actually a succession of moments, right? Um, it was the, uh, you, you hit something when you said, wait your turn. Uh, because before I made the decision to run, to run for public office in Colorado, even I was telling myself, you know what, it's probably not my turn. I should, I should wait a few more years. And then I actually sat down and I sat down with mentors and I sat down with friends and, and others. And I, and I asked the hard questions and I said, I want you to be brutally honest with me and tell me that I am wrong. Tell me how I shouldn't do this. Don't egg me on and, and probe, ask questions that, 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 that could be potential fit, pitfalls. And even after I had those meetings with mentors and friends, you know, one came away to the realization, and you pointed it out, if there is a problem and no one else is doing something about it, then it is high time for us to actually do something about it. One of the things that I'm campaigning as can, uh, candidate for county commissioner is this noble notion that we've heard time and time again, and everyone us- usually repeats it, but hardly ever does anything about it. And that is a government that governs least is one that governs most effectively closer to every single one, excuse me, a government that governs best is one that governs least, most effectively, and closer to every single one of us. And we love that concept, but then we don't have elected officials who are actually fighting to do that. You have folks who ended up saying, well, we'll take your federal money and we'll go ahead and give our, our state's autonomy up. We'll go ahead and take the state uh, state money and we'll give our county's autonomy up. And so I think it's, I think it's exactly, exactly what you hit 
right? We identify a problem. We see that no one is doing anything else about it. And so we said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and instead step up and actually try to do. One of the things that really, really motivates me is whenever I see injustice anywhere. It could be injustice from person to person, injustice in the way that government operates, injustice in you name it. And nothing motivates me more than that. And so a, a, a problem needs fixing. And if I believe it to be unjust, then you better believe I'm going to say, all right, here I am. <laughs> Let's go ahead and try to do something about it. That's amazing. And there is this, this innate confidence because, because we are seeing a void. And I think you discussed it so beautifully when you said that there's this need to reestablish justice. And as millennials, we are such a justice generation. And we really seek to establish uh, a fair system where people do have a shot where we have equal opportunity. And that's not the mm -hmm. system that we've been raised in. And we want to be a part of, of creating the solution. So we're right here at uh, our last question. And so it's the question that I ask all of my guests. And uh -huh. it's, it's Paulo, if the 12 year old version of you were to meet you right now and hang out with you, see what you're doing, see how you're running for office. What would he think about what you're doing? Oh gosh. First I have to think, what was I doing when I was 12 years old? Uh, let's see. That would have been about two and a half years after having moved to the state. So I would have been maybe seventh or eighth grade. You know, the two year old, ver uh, the 12 year old version of me, what would the, what would the 20, uh, 12 year old version of me tell the 28 year old uh, of me today or vice versa? Yep. What would the 12 year old version of you think about what you're doing right now? Okay. Huh. I think the 12 year old version of me would say, I'm glad, uh, you know, you, there's been so many turns and twists in your life, but I'm glad that you've persevered and that, uh, when sometimes things look like they, that like there is no hope that you kept on trucking and you kept on going and and uh, chose to instead, you know, what is it? They knock you down three times, you get up four times. I think that's what the 12 year old version of me would say or think. Like, I can't believe that's Paulo. I can't believe that this is me because, um, you know, there were there were hard and trialing times and there always and there will continue to be hard and trialing times. Um, but but the 12 year old version of me would 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 be happy to know that even after being knocked down, um, still got up. That's awesome. So Paulo Sabaha, I just want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy campaigning schedule to talk with us about your experience and your leadership. And I just want to acknowledge you for being the one that said yes, and for not belittling your voice and your leadership and putting it off for a different time, because you are a leader in this generation that is much needed uh, now more than ever. So thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gabby. It was so much fun.